Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. We're off the mat again, and we're going to be answering a follow-up question to last week's podcast. The question posed was, what can or what does the deshi add to the sensei-deshi relationship? I think we can use the same tool we used several times already in the podcast, and that is to determine what is the largest contributing factor towards the goal you want to receive. So, as we did with the do you need a sensei question, we can start with the question, what is your aim? What are you trying to achieve with your Aikido practice? I think we're going to find that the answer is going to be slightly different. And different in the sense that when you ask with the sensei at the center of your inquiry, you can have lots of variation and therefore lots of variation in terms of how you should organize your practice and what aspects you should consider necessary or irrelevant. I think in the case of the deshi, whether you place all the different reasons for why someone is training on a single spectrum and at one end you would have the most mundane of concerns and on the other end you would have the most profane of or the most sacred of concerns. So let's just say at one end it would be something like health or exercise or interest, entertainment, social reasons, solutions for boredom or whether somewhere further towards the other end you have some actual need let's say you're in law enforcement or you're in the military or you have a security job or there is some place or some conditions under which a marshal viability is made present for you. And I think if you keep moving toward the other end, we can put O-senseis, asceticism or O-senseis mysticism. So it can be a considered a spectrum ranging from the profane to the sacred. But I think what you'll find is regardless of what your reasons might be and where you might fall on that spectrum, 
the contributing factor that is most relevant and most dominant in terms of determining whether you achieve your want with the practice or not is going to remain the same, and that is commitment. So for me, when you ask how can or how should the deshi contribute to the sensei-deshi relationship as I described it in last week's episode, you can also ask the question, how does a deshi practice the most commitment? What does it mean? Well, commitment is obviously about exposure. Where the assumption is the more prolonged the exposure, the better. And that carries with it an assumption that holds the more frequent the exposure, the better. So if you can add frequency to duration, that's better than just duration. An example of this would be somebody who has practiced two nights a week for 10 years. versus somebody who has practiced all seven days at all four classes given each of those days for five years. The latter's commitment is higher and as a result, whatever the yield may be, it's going to be greater than the former and therefore more capable of delivering the desired end. So you have frequency, duration, and I think what happens is that we kind of stay there, not, not, we're already in the realm of the minority. I think for a long time the martial arts has set itself up for economic reasons and for reasons of problems associated with lineage, <clears throat> federation systems, pretty much for no good reason, the martial arts has set itself up as a kind of pastime behavior, almost a luxury. And I think you can if you look at my spectrum from the sacred to the profane, what do I consider the most profane is when the art is most mostly luxury, when it's one that someone can do without. In some ways, luxury and commitment are antithetical to each other. If not ideationally, at least in terms of how one lives one's life. At the level of practice, they will contradict each other. But 
the martial arts has set itself up. Every time it caters a little bit more to somebody who in essence was probably undeserving of the original teaching. Decades of a slippery slope of compromise. And soon institutionally you start to organize everything around that. You start out with people believing because you led them to it that two hours a week is sufficient. So soon rank and testing is organized around that. Fees are organized around that. Hours are organized around that. Eventually, schedules are organized around that. And today, it is not uncommon for a person that wants to open up a martial arts dojo to not at all feel pressured to have seven days of training per week. There is no issue to that. There is no question that arises when they can only rent this community center or that public hall for two nights a week. Just as there is no issue or question in the person who signs up for such a program. So when we talk about commitment and we're looking to understand it in terms of frequency and the duration of that frequency and we're talking about maximum values as our aims, we are already dealing with a rarefied population. And this population will get pretty far as they move from the profane aspects of the art towards where O-sensei was. You will, die by default, make, let's say you just have social reasons. And this is no small thing, by the way. There are plenty today, plenty of social, social studies, psychological studies, cultural studies that show the importance of a tribe, some sort of community of support, and how it lends itself towards our overall wellness, which, which does include whether we remain sane or not. There are other studies that show that the quality of one's tribe is also very relevant. 
So one of the simplest things you can do to change your life, to move it from what ails you to what heals you, to move your world into a better world, is simply to surround yourself with people people who are looking to do the same. This is huge. And it is important. And it should not be so dismissed because I placed it at the profane end of this spectrum as something huge then it deserves the same level of commitment and it benefits from the same level of commitment The person who joins a dojo and just looks for mat space where they can exercise by themselves is really cutting themselves short. In the modern age where we barely know our neighbors, maybe we know their first name, not their last name or vice versa, where we don't know what they do for a living. Where we are now more often likely to enter into a neighbor dispute with them than we are to help raise their children. The notion of a group, of supporters, of a tribe, of a community, of a kinship system is a behavior associated with our own evolution. And we have not evolved past that, yet we have done away with these practices. It is likely, as these studies show, we do not fare so well then when we try to do without them. In our dojo, we have organized it with this tribe mentality in mind. And through that we have done things as a group that we could not do as individuals. People have gone on to get 
degrees and postgraduate degrees because someone, pretty much a second parent, is helping with childcare. We have reduced the need to almost zero to have to pay strangers to watch what is most beloved to us, our children. We have taken each other to the hospitals and waited in the emergency rooms. We have loaned vehicles and given jobs. Shared laughs and tears. And all that is built on a sea of trust and investment. and of community. And these are huge things. I think if one came to our dojo and that is all they could ever get out of it, just a tribe, then it would have been well worth it. And as something of value then, it benefits from commitment. The same would go if you move further towards the other end of the spectrum and you have some need for martial viability. It too will benefit from commitment. The level of commitment will determine the proximity to the desired goal. That does not change whether we're talking about community or whether we're talking about self-defense. It is about time, energy, and resources spent and aimed towards frequency and duration. And I think this idea of commitment can take one pretty far, maybe all the way. And maybe what I'm thinking now is just poetic variation. Maybe you can do what I'm about to say at all levels. But I did not understand it until O-sensei became 
something real for me. For me, the art is a practice. It's alive. It's not a textbook page. It's not an idea. It's not a tradition. It's not a history. It's not a concept. It is a behavior, an orchestrated and organized way of being. It is a continuous experience that adapts and modifies eternally to the conditions of one's present, current situation. In short, this practice is an ascetic one. a mystical one. And its aim is not great power or fame. These things are actually enemies to it. Its aim is the same aim that existed at the profane level of this spectrum. At the profane level, if I just want the tribe, the want is associated with some sort of positivity, some sort of benefit, some sort of better situation, some way of addressing what ails me, what makes my life difficult, prone to suffering, being overtaken by fear. Some sort of counter force to the inertia of superficiality. All the things that make my relationships in the end or at points in time feel meaningless. I think you'll see that 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 
carries through. No matter where you are on this spectrum, to the point where you can see this spectrum from the profane to the sacred is really just a poem, a sand mandala that ultimately describes nothing. Because that same sense of saving myself, helping myself, aiding myself, is also there when I want a martial viability to my art. And it continues as well. When I'm at the sacred end of the spectrum and I'm looking for this asceticism, Meaning, I bring it into my life because my life needs it. Needs it in exactly the same way that I need a tribe or that I need martial viability because those are the environments that I find myself in. Centuries ago, asceticism was reserved for the mountains and the forests and the person who left society. It's gone by many names, but the aim has always been the same. to save oneself, to aid oneself, to heal oneself, to know oneself. It's been the same across the globe and across the centuries. And in some way, even when I am perhaps satisfied with operating at the level of tribe, the more healed I am, the more I know myself, the more I reconcile my fear and my will to power, then my quality of the tribe experience is improved upon. The same will happen at the martial viability level. If I have the capacity within me to reconcile fear, then I will perform better martially. I will not vapor lock, freeze enter a realm of indecision and hesitation. I will not hold back.
when everything needs me to move forward and to act decisively. And I will not go insane by repeated exposure to the toxic environment of human versus human violence. Today there are still people that separate themselves from society, from the world, who go and practice these self-aid systems. But for me, something has changed. And the modern world has become so toxic and filled with so many of us destroying ourselves directly or indirectly to go up to the mountain today and to shut the door behind us seems more like an unreconciled fear than anything else. This is the age when an asceticism is needed right in the middle of our urban centers. right in the middle of our careers and our jobs, in the midst of our families, our marriages, our parenthoods, in traffic, in social media forums. This is that age and a new asceticism must be born. One no longer satisfied with leaving the world and everyone else behind. one that engages directly, that touches people and that is touched by people. And for me, this has made O-sensei more valuable than ever. Because his understanding of his art is precisely that.
It is an asceticism that happens in this world that gains its validity not in separation but in its functionality amongst everyone. It's not a concept, it's not an idea, it's an action. It's an experience, a behavior, a being. It borrows heavily from all of man's ascetic history. But it brings it to the world. Where self-detachment, unification, and conflict resolution is carried forth right here, right now, in the merging and the unifying of both the invisible and the visible world. Happening both within myself and externally to myself. And if you're going to train at this level, then not only is frequency and the prolonged duration of frequency important, not only is commitment of that nature important, but I discovered for me that it's slightly more accurate to say what is important is not so much what you do, but what you don't do. And as I said, I think you can take this back down the spectrum. So a simple example at the sacred end of the spectrum would be a commitment towards never practicing fear. All forms of fear, disengagement, retreating, avoidance, procrastination, deception, hiding, postponement, these become prohibited for the self. They become a problem to be solved, a location for the practice to continue and to deepen.
and dysfunctions much, much more than to just tell oneself on the positive side, uh, just be brave. I have found the positive side to be almost underpowered. at the higher ends of this spectrum. I think it's interesting that historically prohibitions have always been a part of the ascetic tradition. I think over time they came to be misunderstood though and they became some sort of moral code it makes sense to me as a historian because the moralists are the academics. They are the people who do not have the experience. So they don't know how to use the tools. So they use them to their own ends. And as they have not reconciled the self, they have not reconciled their will to power. And over the decades and the centuries, those prohibitions which were originally technologies now become codes, value systems, means by which you judge and condemn another person. When it comes to the energetic potency in terms of self-transformation of the prohibition. I think to my own moments in law enforcement, in hot calls, or even in fiction or history, or the historical fiction of Stephen Pressfield, where he points out that what keeps the Spartan shield wall in place is the huge taboo about letting the person down that's next to you. It's not some positive virtue like bravery. It's the potency of cowardice. And the abhorrence one has toward it. So if you're in the middle of the spectrum and your commitment is oriented towards martial viability... You won't really achieve it. Until martial ignorance or delusion becomes abhorrent to you. 
even if we come all the way down and we have the very profane or apparently profane concern with physical health. Even if my tribe eats low-cal, low-carb, whole foods, I will not be able to do it until processed food and sugar addiction and gluttony make me sick, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically. So I think commitment has to have this second element to it. The first element, frequency, and the prolonged duration of frequency. And the second element is this prohibitive energetic charge. Where you fuel your practice with the negative power of abhorrence. And I would say, on this latter thing, and this is why I even started with the spectrum, the further you move from the profane to the sacred, the more you're going to need this second aspect. So the further you are towards the profane side, the less you'll need this second aspect. You will be able to accomplish a great deal with just the first aspect, frequency and prolonged duration. Now this request for discussion came from one of my own deshi. And so here I would like to not speak so generally about Aikido practice, but about Aikido as it is practiced at our dojo. When you are operating at the sacred end of the spectrum, you have actually encapsulated the totality of the spectrum such that one's participation in a tribe is nothing more than a continuation or an extension or an application of one's asceticism. And the same would go for one's concern with martial viability. one's art cannot be martially delusional contradictory 
or hypocritical. And be in asceticism at the same time. And so you can't just do whatever. And there is no contrast or dichotomy between martial viability and mystical communion. So I would start there. There's only one spectrum. And the goal is to do away with it entirely so that there's only one practice. And most importantly, that when we understand that, we truly understand that we are talking about a practice. Not a concept, not an idea. But a consistency of thought, speech, and behavior wherein and whereby attachment to the small self is reconciled And the skill in self-detachment is cultivated. Not here or there, but everywhere. And so while, let's say, I just afforded great value to the tribe... The person in this dojo who stays only at the tribal level will be seen as not very committed. And the same is true for the person who's only interested in martial viability. Not very committed. Not very insightful and ultimately contradicting the teacher and the teaching. This does not mean that there are not learning curves or that maturation processes do not take their time but all deshi should be oriented accordingly. If we're headed north, no one should be facing south. Take your time. Walk 
jog, skip, run, sprint, rest. Take your time. But remain facing north. Never turn south. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.